Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Book Club. First rule of Book Club is you must always talk about Book Club. Second rule of Book Club is tell everyone about Book Club. Hello, welcome to IRC Book Club. For those of you who aren't missing sitting in your cars and are still listening to podcasts, maybe while you cook, maybe while you walk, maybe while you're laying in the garden being paid by the state to not do any work, welcome. And for those of you who aren't missing the podcast, then you're probably not listening anyway. (laughs) How's it going, Mike? Yeah, not bad. Not bad. Yeah, exciting week. Mm, yes, what's surprising is some of the companies that I am recruiting for, you know, I'm working uh, with a company. Ones. Yeah, well, not so much that, just in odd places. So I'm recruiting for one at the minute who are selling into the US retail market. I mean, who'd have thought that? What on earth? They sell into the US retail and hospitality market. And I've said to the guy, you know, he's the MD, I've said, listen, are you sure you're recruiting? They're, yep, definitely, Mike. I mean, he definitely is recruiting. Like, he definitely is. Listen, so it's, there's it's, some strange pockets. There's some very predictable parts of the market that are recruiting and, and yeah. things we know tra- the, the transformation agenda is very big uh, low code still you know pretty decent I think AI is still pretty big and we're being driven through a transformation agenda and those technology companies that power that are, are always going to do alright Mike the med tech sector literally it's Christmas for them as oh, awful it is, as it's as awful as it sounds well we've got to put um, the humanita- humanitarian tragedy to one side People are still. People are making money out of this, you know, pandemic. That's the reality. Oh, the, some of the companies I'm talking to in the medtech sector are making so much money, and I'm speaking to them, and they're saying, "We'd love to talk to you, but I'm just so busy. I'm on a con call with so and so, and we'll think about recruitment in four months." So they're actually that busy making hay that they can't recruit. Uh, a candidate came to me the other day, and he said. Well, how's the market? Yeah, very good guy in the medtech space. And I said, listen, the bad news is it's quiet. The good news is they're all making so much money that in late summer, they're all going to wake up, count their cash and realise they can attack the market a bit more. Crazy, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. Anyway, we're here to talk about this national bestseller influence. The national bestseller. uh, Do you know what I think would be a good idea, Mike? Would be to just do a review of the actions you and I took a little bit after last week. Go on then. So last week we were talking about uh, reciprocation, weren't we? We were, yeah. And it was a really interesting chapter. I pasted it a little bit at the start. And then later on, I think you, you've put me right a little bit over it. And then subsequently to that, you and I have implemented a couple of things. I have to say they're yielding, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, just to go back over the book, you know, it's a really old book, actually. But, it, yeah. but he, he's got his weapons of influence and then each chapter talks about a weapon of influence. Uh, last uh, week that we discussed was reciprocation. Um, and, and basically he was saying that once you give something, people they'll feel honor bound to give you something back. Yeah. I mean, I've just summarized the chapter. Shemi didn't do that. Yes, because um, it is verbose. Yeah. So, so, so then what I've been doing is sending out a couple of emails to people um, where I'm giving them something, having read the LinkedIn profile. So I've read it and said, listen, I think X or I think Y. And I mean, these are prospects that I've been trying to get stuck into for three or four years, and they are coming back to me now. Saying, thank you something. so much. 
unbelievable response. I mean, literally yeah. unbelievable response. One of the guys that called me is the, I don't know, worldwide VP or something of one of the biggest security companies in the world. And, and he, he rang me. you after yeah. you'd sent him that email. I sent him an email saying, listen, I've been looking at your LinkedIn profile. You know I've been trying to sell to you clearly. I follow you on LinkedIn. Your posts are getting no traction at all, and this is why. You know, he was posting beautiful-looking posts that were getting two likes, one, you know, hardly any views. Now, maybe it was him, maybe it was PR company that were doing it, whatever, but it wasn't getting any traction. So I reached out to him, gave him that, and then he has felt on a bound yeah. to reciprocate by returning the calls that I left for him yeah, five, six, seven, eight months ago. Unbelievable. Sim- similarly, we've been, uh, it, actually inadvertently, we'd done it prior to reading the book where we've been putting together these groups of people helping yes. each other. And we've been bringing the groups together and organising those. And by nature of the fact that we've been bringing that value to our audience in a very simple way, just it's a gift, isn't it? I'm going to do this for you and it's going to help you. Yep. They are honour bound to be part of our gang. And I've had a couple of really lovely messages from people recently saying, hi, how are you doing? Are you all right? You need any help? Yeah. Where they're not necessarily rolling around in cash to recruit, but you're thinking, if you're asking me that now when you've got some budget, I'll know about it. Well, it takes you back to the old Duffer who, who, who what's the book called? It was a green one about uh the go go giver go giver yeah the go giver the whole book the whole book's based on the law of reciprocation isn't it yeah so that was chapter two was the law of reciprocation and then chapter three sorry go on what are you going to say chapter three is called commitment and consistency yeah now i'm going to summarize this chapter for you because let's be clear this chapter is page 57 through to page 170 yeah it's a long 70 page chapter right Fundamentally, what he's talking about in this chapter is, and I've put big chapter and gets very boring in the middle. He's saying, if you agree with something, better if you agree than a force to agree with it, you'll try to be consistent with it, even if it's wrong. Which is a very simple concept, but very interesting one for us as salespeople. I think so, yeah. You know, um, yeah, he talks, so he starts off with a story of a girl that's in a dismal relationship, doesn't he? Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And what he basically says is that it's... We all know, everybody's got a friend uh, who... We've all got... uh, I've got... My wife has a friend who has consistently picked scummy men her whole life. Yeah, we have an auntie. She's not an auntie, but, you know, she's an auntie. She's a Yorkshire auntie, (laughs) is what I should say. And who who has consistently picked scummy men her whole life. Yeah. And it's a consistency thing. People do what they know. They do what they know. And they stick with what they know. And what he talks about is this girl goes out with this scummy man, meets a much nicer man who treats her right and loves her to bits, but still ends up with the scummy man who doesn't change because actually he gives her the consistency that she craves and the certainty that she craves. Now, where does that translate for us? Well, 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 it it goes on about, I'm going to interrupt you because it goes on about public consistency as well. Yes. So, So what's interesting is sometimes we won't be able to get into an account because whoever the chief exec is that they've 
gone down a certain recruitment path. They've Correct. publicly aligned themselves to a headhunter. They've recruited an internal recruiter that's not going to use external recruiters. They've publicly said, I've got the world's best network and therefore I've got to stick to it. Yeah. Uh, and you constantly, when you're reading this book, you're thinking, how does that actually apply to my market? And what does that mean for how I can sell and the objections that I get? Everybody's what- got a customer, Mike, who's got, everybody's got a customer whose supplier is a competitor that everybody knows is completely shit, but oh, who oh, seems oh, wildly loyal. Option. Yeah, but but seems deeply loyal to what is in reality a dismal supplier. And what the point he's making here is people are consistent. So if I choose a supplier, correct. If I choose a supplier, and you gave the example of clients that pick a headhunter sometimes, there's so much in that. A lot of that is about the public statement of having picked a very posh oak paneled roomed. Savile Row suit wearing theoretical big four headhunter to do a job. And there's a bit of an ego thing in that. And then from that point, because I've given them the retainer, which comes back to the first chapter, doesn't it? The retainer. And I've already given them something. um, And I'm already in that commitment loop. At that point, it's very hard to break. Yes. And they often stick with the decision. Sometimes we'll speak to clients where you'll think, hold on a minute, this re- this recruiter's had this retainer now. He's had it for four months and he's not filled the job. But yet they seem so giddy about the fact that they've instructed a, a headhunter. And, and, and I'm sure it translates to every sector of every sales job on earth. It, 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 you know, inevitably, I thought this was good on page 74. He says, you can use small commitments to manipulate a person's self-image. So what he's talking about here is if you get that person, your prospect, to publicly commit, they will be consistent with the commitment that they have made if they've made it publicly. And there's a story here about a woman who wanted to give up smoking and who wrote a load of business cards. Do you read that bit where she wrote a load of business cards, gave them to all the friends and said, right, I'm going to give up smoking. And his example was she publicly committed to all of her friends and peers that she was going to give up smoking and therefore she had to be consistent with the commitment that she had made. Well, it's interesting, Mike. Many, many years ago, I trained to be a hypnotherapist. Uh, long story. And one of the things in the training was you taught smoking cessation. And one of the trainers used to say to me, listen, I only do smoking cessation with patients when they've done the following. And he explained it. He said, people would ring him and say, do you do smoking cessation? And he'd say, yeah, 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 do you? They'd say, great, can I book an appointment next week? He'd say, no. And they'd go, what? And he'd say, no, you can't. And he, they'd say, why? And he'd say, well, what I want you to do is um, I want you to buy a diary, a piece, a, book, a little paper book and a pen. And I want you to write down for the next two weeks every cigarette you've had, why you've had it, and I want you to smoke every cigarette you have for the next two weeks with your left hand. And I want you to write what you were feeling when you were thinking of having that cigarette. And when you've done that, I want you to ring me. And we'll make an appointment. And he said he had a 100% turnaround rate. Because the people who had done it, if you've done two weeks of writing down every cigarette you've had, you've pretty much given up smoking already. You've pretty much already hypnotised and got through to your own brain the stupidity and madness of it. 
He said, whereas people who just wanted the magic cure of, hi, can you reprogram my brain into not smoking? He said, actually, they were very recidivistic and they'd be smoking again within two, three months. Whereas he said he had a 100% turnaround. People would never go back if they did that. And it's about the public commitment. I mean, what's interesting, it's sort of interesting but boring. That I'm very mixed emotion on this book because it is so boring at times. Yeah, it is. You know, the, it's, lo- it's a long read. The, there's like this big story about uh, Chinese and Korean prisoners, uh, you know, POWs. Yeah. I, I mean, that goes on for about 10 pages. But yeah. basically what he was talking about was, and I didn't know any of this, obviously, that the Chinese would make the prisoners... Uh, write written declarations about why they, uh, about how they felt about communism, and because they were writing it themselves, then they themselves would feel more committed to it. And then there was a survey done. Oh yeah, some and, of them came home communists, Mike. And and what I think he is interesting about it is that pretty much all of this book is based on scientific fact. But he feels that he's got to explain all of the scientific fact to you. <laughs> Yeah, you wouldn't get, I think we said it last week, you wouldn't get a publishing deal with this book in the manuscripts that we're reading now in the current climate because people don't have the attention span to read a book like this now. No, but it is based on science, you know, it's based on science. It's scientific fact. Everything's tested. Everything's measured. There's a few things to to talk about that I'm going to go back earlier in the chapter, actually. One of them is... It's easy to stay with a bad product because it's painful changing psychologically, right? Yeah. I think that's a really interesting point for people based on their sales training in as much as most of us are trained to find pain. Yes. But actually it's easier to stay with a bad product than it is to change. And I think that in itself is an enormous thing to think about. For, for, for any of our uh, any of our audience really the other thing that i think is really interesting is that and he talks about this when he talks about uh the he gives a really interesting example of a transcendental meditation group and the making massive promises and a guy comes along and it, this isn't just a normal meditation group. They're practicing transcendental meditation. And the guy that's the teacher is making ridiculous promises about how you able to walk through walls and this and that and this and that. And he's signing people up for more courses at the end of the initial session. Yes. And along comes a guy who debunks the whole thing, proves it's bullshit with a very cogent scientific argument. Yet the punters all signed up anyway. Because they were already there and they already wanted to believe it. And I think that's a fascinating lesson for us as salespeople that sometimes we think if we put together a very cogent, intelligent, loyally argument in the face of an objection of, look, I've got a supplier and he's amazing, when we know he's not, or when we really know actually the client's struggling, if we put together those loyally cogent arguments, actually they're unlikely to work and that if anything often a more cogent argument is going to entrench a position absolutely i think you're going to find a lot of that in the current uh covid era you know what what date is this today 5th of may is people are now making decisions that they then have to publicly stand by yes and you know as i read this book i was thinking about 
um, you know, the things that people are publicly saying that they now have got standby. <laughs> and actually, are they going to like then what? reflect? Go on, just expand on that. Well, there's, and, I, and, and I'm not going to mention the massive uh, company, but there's a huge company, IT company, who furloughed loads of staff two weeks into the furloughing process. They're a massive, massive, massive VAR. And what we, and you know, it's public stuff. You know, it's all over the internet uh, uh, and in the trade press. And you know, end of last year and leading up to that, they've always been very public about their success, about how much profit they've made, and blah de blah blah. And then two weeks into the furlough process, or when you can furlough people, they furloughed a load of staff. So then they have to tell everybody a tale of woe. Yes, that's my point. Because they now can't come out of that six months down the line and go back to their standard marketing, which is, we're really great, we've made loads of profit, we're really great, we've made loads of profit. What they've actually done, they've made a snap decision to then completely change the marketing and the presence and their image that it's taken them 20 years to build. And I do wonder how that's going to affect some companies because what this guy, what's his name, C. Aldini would say is, he would say, you have to be consistent with the message that you've sent out. Yes. So companies will main, continue to wear the sackcloth even when things are good and we're out of the lockdown. They'll, mm. all, they'll still continue to feel sorry for themselves. I think so. Or at least and, publicly feel sorry for themselves because it will be inconsistent with the massive swath of redundancies they just made in order to actually cut costs and make the next quarter's results look better. Correct. And I mean, I, I, you will have read it, I guess, but page 104, there's a picture of a table. And yeah. on page 104, there's a picture of a table and basically the table's got five legs. Um, yeah. And I think that this is a, a, a good a good way for salespeople to think about to whom they are selling. Well, it's interesting because that's a, a really key part of Tony Robbins's overall yeah. theory on beliefs. He talks about a belief being a table with legs. Well, clearly Tony Robbins copied it off this guy. Yeah, I but, think so. What's interesting, actually, is a few other things in this book where I've thought, crikey, I wonder where that had come from, where I've read it in somebody else's book. I don't know when this guy wrote it. It looks pretty old, as far as I can tell. Yeah, yeah. it's a bit dated. It, some of it's a bit dated, isn't it? It's a bit dated, but obviously as a book, it created the underlying principles of a lot of things that a lot of other books have been written on the back of. Yeah, so it, it gets on to consistency. Yeah. Uh, sorry, commitments, which I think, again, is a very, very interesting thing. The concept of getting people to make a large purchase by starting with a very small one. Yes. And that did make me think, what small thing can we flog to customers to make them then choose... Uh, uh, well, it's really got me thinking about that, actually. Well, there was a salesman that I placed years ago. My introduction, Jonathan, was to the client was, yeah, he's a bit like the grumpy clown out of Brassed Off. Yeah. Um, do you remember the guy? Now, yeah. he was, a, I, I suspect he's probably retired now, but um, I got into him, you know, how do you sell? He said, well, what I like to do is get him to buy summit from me to start with. Don't buy how much it costs. And Just he would sell them summit. Yeah, not yeah. something, summit. Summit. Yeah. For those of you listening in black and white or in the south, um, that means something. But yes, in the north, something. in the north, we call it summer. Yes, but that's the point, isn't it? He got them, yeah, to make um, small commitments. Now, I actually think you can extend that into the very old-fashioned, overlooked, maligned, uh, closed question of shouldn't you, wouldn't you, couldn't you, don't you, etc. They're small, yes, micro commitments. I think 
they're very unfashionable at the moment, but I think they're very relevant. Yeah, I think you're environment. I think you're absolutely right. It's it, it, it's the very basics of Tom Hopkins' How to Master the Art of Selling, of actually in the call. It's a lovely day, isn't it? Well, you know, we've got our yes, own recruiter. We've got our own recruiter, but you are looking for the best person in the job, aren't you? Yes, and I am. No, and there's no guarantee that that recruiter can find them, is there? No, there isn't. And we'll work on a no win, no free placement, don't we? Yes, I you do. Know, and I you want ta- to find the and you want to find the very best person on the market for the job available at any given point in time, don't you? You know, I was taught that twenty years ago. Now, I, I don't know quite how it translates into the software market, but I am very sure that somebody who is listening to this is going to prospect at, at you know one of their their prospects, and that prospect is going to go, yeah, well, we've got our own supplier. Now, the prospect is saying they've got their own supplier because they are trying to be consistent with their own commitment. But what Correct. this guy would say is he would say, just get some micro-commitment out of them. Take some of those legs away from underneath them. Tiny loads, just get loads of little micro-commitments. But that's so unfashionable. and Unfashionable, yeah. And so many people would be castigated. I mean, they'd be crucified by the Jeb Blunt's, Anthony Anarino's, the what's her name? The lady, the, I've forgotten her name. Shari Levettin, Bob Berg. They'd be crucified by that group, yes, for espousing that as sales methodology. Yes, and a lot of people, even our listeners, would. I think a lot of people would, would be incredibly uncomfortable with that concept of. Oh, it's a lovely day, isn't it? And thinking that's a manipulation to get the customer to make a micro-commitment to you that he's agreed with you about well, something as small as the weather. Well, what's interesting is, I mean, I, there's a slight extension to that, which is not necessarily germane now, but, but but my often opening line is to try and listen to something that's going on in the background. So, for example, you call somebody in the car, you go, you're in the car, aren't you? Yes, I am. Oh, you've got a good headset, haven't you? Yes, I have. Perfect. I've got you a good time. Then have a night. Yeah. Yes, you have. It's, it's, it's classic <laughs> yes set stuff, and they're they're set there in their brain has already got their, their brain is going. I'm saying yes to this guy. Brain's gone. Yes, yes, yes. Now, actually, I think what you're going to find is that I'm going to be ageist now. I think you're going to find the millennials or the people who Gen Zs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got my ages mixed up really then, but I think people who started working from 2012 until now, who've sold in a good market, they are not going to like this concept. I don't think. There's a few that will. There's the ones that are natural born killers that are hungry to win. Um, but I think I had a really interesting argument with the guy on LinkedIn this weekend. Big argument okay. with a fella who owns a recruitment business who has 100% pivoted his recruitment business into becoming a social media training company. Okay. Right? Was and he's got a one hit wonder. He's got out of, he's the guy that had, he's, he's got a big profile on LinkedIn and he, he's basically got out of recruitment and he sort of pasted the whole cold calling thing. And he's basically said, listen, you can't cold call people at the moment, it's a bit inappropriate, but what you can do is be like me and you'll get business from social media. And I, I to be fair, I lost my shit with him and I just said, actually, I think what you're doing is immoral and you're leading people down a path that one takes two years to build, you know, you and I both know, you know, it's, but for the greater the fact that you trusted me on our social media thing, but it took two years before we started making money out of it. Um, yeah, yeah. 
And I think that it's naughty that he hasn't caveated the fact that it's two years of hard, bloody slog of building content and feeding the content on the screen. He never said that. And I said, I think you're a fraudster, mate. I think you're out of order because you're telling people there's a quick fix to winning business, which is sticking videos on LinkedIn. Um, But the reality is he's preaching to an audience that just, they, it comes back to the whole consistency and commitment thing. They want to believe that. Yes. And then they've publicly, but, and then they've publicly. And we're actually skipping on to the next chapter a bit on social proof, but my God, they want to consistently believe that. And what was interesting was I leathered him. And you know what I'm like, Pricey, when I go for people like that, I'm articulate, I'm cogent, I'm factual, I'm really precise. I can absolutely annihilate people. I should have been a barrister, really. Um, But what was interesting was how entrenched those beliefs were of his acolytes. Well, yes. I mean, you're now getting into chapter four, actually. Yeah, I am. I'm skipping a chapter, aren't I? But But, but, I absolutely agree with you, because actually what's happened there is he has publicly made his commitment and he has to be consistent with it. Yeah. Now, actually, who knows what his bank balance looked like? Maybe it's doubling what it was a year ago. Maybe it's halving what it was a year ago. He'll never tell us and we'll never know. But that's sort of the point of the chapter is, which is if you can get somebody to publicly tie themselves to your brand, they've publicly tied themselves. And the last example I'll give you actually out of this chapter is it's somewhere in it is... Uh, it talks about all these competitions where you've got to say why you yeah. like Brand X in under 100 words or less. Have you ever done one? No. no. I, I did one a few weeks ago. But the basic story is, so there's all these, you know, mainly FMCG brands out there yeah. saying, you know, <clears throat> what what do you really like about Cornflakes? And 100 words or less, and it's a competition. And actually what you're actually doing is writing is you- down <laughs> on a bit of paper... <laughs> Why you're going to keep buying their brand. Now, yeah. I hadn't, hadn't realised what that was until I read it in his book and I thought, oh, God, I've fallen for that. Me too, I've been nailed by it. But then I think that also is the case, isn't it? it, it insofar as when you it post gets worse than LinkedIn, that, Mike. Mike, it gets worse than that because we're not in the modern day and age. So I did a competition, right, for Pro Photo Camera Kit. Now, anybody who's into photography will know Pro Photo Camera Kit is monumentally expensive. Right. It's a long story, but we had a little bit of spare cash, didn't we, Pricey, one afternoon. I bought myself a, a small Pro Photo flash. It was a very extravagant procurement at the time. It was a little gift to myself, near my birthday, yada, 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 yada. So I'm now a Pro Photo customer. And I entered a competition to win a load of other Pro Photo gear. Pro Photo is the Lamborghini of photography lighting kit. It's that elite. Right, it's it's not Godox, it's not Canon, it's ridiculous. It's what pro photographers use, okay. and it's it's high end kit. Literally, a basic pro photo flash is a grand, right? Okay. So I entered this competition a while ago, and what you realise is, hold on a minute, what they've effectively made me do is write to them and tell me how much I love them, so that I can win some kit. But worse still. They've got the data. For me to enter that competition, I've had to say it's okay to contact me. So it's the it. ultimate It's the ultimate psychological sales tool, isn't it? Really smart, yeah. Really Write smart. to us. Tell us how amazing you think we are. Reiterate your commitment to your pre-existing purchase. 
and how great you thought that was. Tell us what you would do with all the kit if you won it. So it's, you had to, the competition was, you had to say what you would do with the kit if you won the kit that was in the competition. Brilliant. So you had to then, in NLP terms, we call that, and I'm just thinking about it now, it's called a future pace, where yeah. you put yourself in the position of what it would be like to have. So exactly. you've effectively sold yourself every single piece of kit on the list of kit that's in the competition. Before we get into, in your own language. <laughs> <laughs> My God. You know, you have, so written, you have written your own marketing material and future pace yourself into their product set. Yeah. Incredible. And then told them to market the shit out of you based on the products you've just told them you'd love to own. But that's sort of a point about this book, really, which is there will be somebody somewhere today who is 25 who has gone, well, do you know what? I read that what a good idea might be is to get people to enter a competition and they can tell us uh, why they want to buy our protein bars. Let's do that. Yeah. They, I doubt very much that 25-year-old knew that it came from the national bestseller, Influence, The Psychology of Persuasion by Robert B. Cialdini, PhD. And the th that's the, the sort of thing about this book that's making me stick with it is actually, it's really good. It's outstanding. Unfortunately, it's just, it's a little bit like, remember we read the Peter Drucker book? It's the same. And same, it was yeah. stunning. And the content of the Peter Drucker book was stunning and the learnings we got from it were monumental. But my God, it was only about 110 pages, the Peter Drucker book, but it was incredibly hard work to wade through. I tell you, but, now, I'm on page 198 of this book. I don't know how many there is, sort of 300. I, I mean, it's a chore. Reading it is a chore. It's hard work. Yeah, but, it's a bit less of a chore than reading the Jeb Blunt book for me. But if somebody said to me, come on, Mike, three chapters in, what do you reckon? Should I go and buy it? I'd say, yeah, but you've got to commit yourself to reading it. Yeah, and he, he then gives some other examples of um, commitment. So he gives the example of um, societies that have initiation ceremonies yeah, and make, yeah. it, make it hard to get in. And the harder it is to get in, the more people want to be in mm. and the more people are prepared to do. I'll tell you a really interesting example of this one is you know me, Mike, I'm always into the latest app. Yep. Um, latest tech, latest app, always whatever the best productivity tool is, I've got to have it. So there was a, a, a load of PR about nine months ago about an application called Superhuman, which was that the whole PR that was going around the market was these guys are charging $30 a month for an email client. Okay. Right? It's an email client. $30 a month, $360 a year for an email client. When you think Office 365 is about seven quid a month. Right? And not only that, but you've got to go on a waiting list and it's at least six months long. Right? Brilliant. Fucking brilliant. Well, when you that, think about it, Kieldini sat there saying, that's right, boys. Well, it's not... It's like Morgan Cars, isn't it? I don't know what the waiting list is, but you know, it used to be eight years or something. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a Morgan. They're absolutely awful. My you know, father their once their ordered chassis one. Is, their chassis is made of wood. I went to the motor show with my dad once, and we ordered one on the spot. And he put a deposit down on the spot at the motor show, uh, and my mum made him uh, cancel. Oh, 
It doesn't surprise me. There was a big row when we got home. But I'll tell you what, the fella sold my dad a place on the Morgan waiting list. Correct. He didn't sell him a car. He sold him a place on the waiting list. uh, We were there. We had a little day out, me and him. I remember I was about nine years old and I came home and I walked straight in the house. Went, Mum, 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 we're getting a Morgan. They're terrible. They're absolutely shite. But we were so excited. My grandfather owned three. Did he? Yeah. And I mean, let's get it right. He had an awful lot of money. He had, you know, as good a cars as you can mention, Porsches, anything. Right. He had them. He owned three Morgans. Wowzers. Awful. Just but, when you speak to my dad about it, awful cars. But he made a public, you know, commitment and he was consistent to it. It was com- consistent to his image. Yeah. Anyway, that's and chapter again, three. That, there's, a, there's a couple of other bits on that, though. Oh, you're still saying could... on it? Okay, right. Yeah. Hell yeah. I think the whole concept of that um, wanting to be part of it and the com- the commit those little commitments i think is facet- fascinating you know making it hard to be a member making people work hard to do it yeah so you and i, I- i've often found and it's interesting this the harder a candidate has to work to get a job often the more they want it yes that's the case i agree with that completely sometimes it's so often i've seen it where and that's the the psychological concept behind that where for example the candidate's gone out to an interview and the client's offered them the job at first interview and the candidate turns it down. Yeah. Because actually it's been too easy. There's been no journey. Yeah. And so many things haven't happened. The candidate didn't have time to consider and do his own just to process the whole thing. Well, maybe, candid- you know, according to Chialdini, he's not gone home and said to his wife or she's not gone home and said to her husband or... God, in the world that we live in, you've got to be careful not to offend anybody. They've not gone home and said to their dog that they're now allowed to get married to. <laughs> yeah. Listen, I've put it. I've put my, you know, I've put my life on it. I really want to get this job. So when they get offered it, they then have got to take it, haven't they? Yes. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. So that's been an interesting chapter. Next week we're going to do a double header, aren't we? We're going to do social proof and liking. Yeah, but I've got to tell you, Johnny, I've read social proof um, as a chapter. That'll be as long as this show. What I what I wrote about social proof, chapter four, mm-hmm. before before I read it was I read. I wonder whether uh, this is going to be relevant, given how the social landscape has changed now to when he wrote the book. That's what that's what I wrote. Then at the end of it, once I'd read it, underneath that, totally thought, relevant, completely, one hundred percent relevant. Yeah, but you'd think the way that we engage socially is so different. You'd think how's this book going to be relevant? But I tell you now, the underlying principles are absolutely the same. I think next week will just be a, a show on social proof, to be perfectly honest, a chapter on You think that. we won't get any further on? It's a big chapter. Well, we, I've listen, read it. We, we can always spread it out, can't we? Mm-hmm. But right. so it's a, what, what you said, it's this book Mike. so far, sh- should you buy it? Yes, but you've got to read it. If you're expecting it to be, you know, really easy, oh, I've read it and now I'm a genius, forget it. It's just not that kind of book. If you're prepared to read it and properly think about it and properly you try will get your some to... takeaways, yeah. I think so, yeah. Well, I've got a couple of... We've taken action as a result of the first one that's benefited us. I've got a couple of action items that I want to just cogitate from this one. Social proof, I already know what I want to do with that because I'm about 40% of the way through the chapter anyway. Um, so my view on it thus far as a book is... If you were going to listen to it as an audio book, I'd say it's a bad idea because you won't make notes in the car. 
if you were going to sit zone, down... You'll zone, you'll zone out. Yeah, car, you'll zone you, out. You, you could zone out for 10 pages very easily. Yes, because I did reading it. Um, if you're going to sit with a pen and paper and some post-its and make notes in it, it's a very good book and you will come up with ideas. Mm, great. And at that, we will see you next week. Goodbye. <laughs>